Hello, everyone, and welcome to another wonderful episode of Let's Talk Ninja Politics on Dacuate. And today, I'm still not alone. I have my partner in justice, like she calls herself, not in crime, Cho. Hello, people. Excited to be back um, with, I don't know about partner in anything, but... We're fine. We're fine. We're here for for good. So thanks, Corey. Um, we're happy to be here again on this episode. I keep saying it on every episode. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, please go and listen to it. Um, there's a lot we've spoken about, from sports to um how to become a party member to what's happening in um. Uh, the religious side of um, Nigeria to just different topics in general. And today, Corey is going to tell us what we're talking about. Okay, thank you very much, Joe. That's a perfect segue. Um, today, we have what we call a double barrel. We have two guests in the house. Um, and the, actually in a space that is what we call, they are endangered species. They are individuals who talk about things that people are not comfortable talking about. And yeah. Yeah, so I'm really excited to introduce them. One of them happens to be, has been at the crossroad with one of um, the most notable governors in Nigeria. So you can imagine him coming to share his experience and his views on journalism and Nigeria. Um, the other person has always been curating um the situation security situation in nigeria so today on the podcast we have two wonderful individuals we have adaku Nwokuku, and we have steven kefas so this will be a double round of applause for the two of them Ooh, drum roll all the sounds inserted here <laughs> we're so excited i'm sure you guys can tell so Adaku and Steven, do you want to say hi to our listeners? Yeah, hello everyone. Um, my name is Steven Kefas, but um, I, I don't know. I think um, you are giving me this big title. Like, I'm not that big. I'm very small. And um, yeah, it's a pleasure being here. Um, sadly, 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 I almost missed the program because of um, the time time difference where i am and where you guys are yes yeah so so let's have it on thank you very much it's a pleasure being here tonight thank you thank you adaku say hi hi so thank you it's a privilege to be here well i don't know about all the titles but then again let's keep the ball rolling thank you for this time no problem don't worry we'll shout for you we'll shout on your behalf so it's fine <laughs> so, <laughs> Corey, what do you have to say? Hit us, hit us with it. Okay, let me just go straight to it. Let me, let me go with Stephen Kefas. Um, what do you think? What's your view of journalism in Nigeria right now? Is it going in the right direction? Is it going to the gutters, or are we making progress? What are your views of journalism in Nigeria? Um, yeah, I, I would say that um, journalism in Nigeria um, might not be where it ought to be, but um, I cannot say we've done very, very bad, right? Even though we ought to be somewhere better, but then um, 
we, we cannot we, we cannot be the worst amongst a committee of nations. But um, speaking from experience, I think um, the last seven years has actually saw um, the emergence of um, a different breed of journalists, citizen journalists um, and professional journalists, right? The last seven years. And um, like the saying goes that uh, necessity is the mother of invention. So I think the time we are in from 2015 to date actually saw um, to the creation or the birth of this breed of uh, journalists. You have my friend, uh, David Hundei, um, Samuel Ogundikpe, and some other journalists who have um, been able to rebrand journalism in Nigeria. Uh, we, we've moved from where we used to be the, the, the orthodox journalism where um, there are set rules, there are ethics that must be followed. Um, you have a story, you saw something happen, you want to report it, but uh, a rule is saying that no, you must go to the tiger and also hear his own part of the story. Uh, you saw somebody killing somebody, you want to report it, but they're saying no, you must go and ask the person that killed the person if he actually kills the person, you know. So we, we've moved from there. Um, I learned something very critical from David. He said, look, you have the fact. You've confirmed their fact. Just, just pour them out. And if you look at it all over the world, that's the direction journalism is taking. So I'm happy, yes, though there are few, you know, in a country of over 200 million people, and you have just few people with this mindset, with this... Um, um, kind of innovative journalism, then we still have a long way to go. But who knows, uh, maybe after now, maybe after next year, we get to see younger um, people who are in school, who are reading articles from David, Samuel, and other people who are making a difference on the field. So they may also want to learn these new skills and um, we'll begin to have something that is um, people-oriented journalism, not just journalism to generate um, revenue for your organization, and um, you know, um, I think praises for politicians and government, but a journalism that is centered on people, like how are the people faring? A journalism that will look at the government and say, hey, this thing is wrong. I think Punch newspaper have done quite well. Uh, we saw when Punch said, hey, we're gonna address the president as major general, uh, Muhammad Buhari retired because according to them, because he wasn't acting like a Democrat. You know, he was leading more as a dictator. So I think that there are few um, um, outfits that have actually been able to, to call a spade a spade. But others, of course, are, are, are still um, living in the past, permit me to, to, to put it that way. Yeah, so I think um, we are moving in the right direction, even though we are few. There are very few people who are really ready to take the bull by the horn. Yeah, so I'll stop here for now. Wow, quite interesting. Um, quite interesting. And we must say that truly, even the way we receive information these days is, is very, very different from how things used to be. And I would just like to ask um, Adapu to just speak on this. So uh, just talking about information generally, how do you think, or what's your perception of how we receive information these days? Is it on the right track, or can things be maybe tweaked a bit? 
or should we even change the entire model, so to speak? Okay, so I wouldn't say we should change the entire model, but we can improve on what we have. Then thank God for the age of <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, social media and um what social media has done, the awareness that's created has made information to be shared easily. That's terms of it. And another problem we're having is where false news are being shared and where news has to be checked checked before it's out in the public and everything. So I wouldn't say like students say we are where we ought to be, but then again, there's a very it's just a tiny drop of increase um, improvement, but we can actually grow on this. We can improve on this then because these days we are beginning to have guys that hold the government accountable for their actions because there are things that have happened if it's not for the age of social media and some of these guys that come out to publish all of these news, we won't have known to just be one of those news that have been swept under the carpet and things are things going south and continue to go south. Yes, thank you so much. Um so also dwelling on that a bit, um talking on how these days you almost have to maybe double check what you're Posting and I, I was so happy you mentioned fake news because one of the episodes we had was actually addressing fake news and how it affects, for example, even um the election process. So how the minds of young individuals can be influenced just by maybe one fake news about one candidate. And speaking on fake news, Stephen, I would just like to ask, how do you have a process of um, would I say double checking your information or any information you want to put out there considering that these days it may be a bit difficult to even get like the clear or plain truth so how do you um normally or how, how would you advise other journalists to do how do they how should they check information before they put it out there so it doesn't become a case of oh it's fake news or it's not entirely true okay thank you very much um I think uh, this is a very important topic, fake news. Um, but by the grace of God, uh, in the last seven years or thereabouts, um, I don't think I've ever made any post or any publication that, uh, in fact, most times I even underreport what really happens. Now, I have, I have um, strategies I, um, I, I employ. One, I have sources from most of the flashpoints where they've been insecurity, um, violence in northern Nigeria. Now, I have a couple of sources in different communities. Now, most times, a source will call and say, there's an attack here. Okay, I ask the basic questions. Who do you think the attackers are? What language were they speaking? Were they carrying knives or guns? Is there gunshot? Are there casualties? Now, the person gives me his information based on what he knows at that time. I don't rush to publish it. I call another person, not far from where he is. I sample like three different views on the matter before proceeding. So I think one of the danger is, um, of course, when you break a story, 
you you tend to get more traffic. Everybody wants to go to your blog or to your platform to read the story first. You have a lot of shares, you have a lot of views and what have you. But 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 the truth of the matter is, it, it, what I believe is, it's better for me to be the last person to publish the actual story right than to be the first person to publish a story that is not correct or is half correct. So by doing that, I get from different sources. And at the end of the day, you discover that the three of them are saying the same thing. That thing really happened. The way they said it happened. So I think if, if, if media houses, um, the, the truth is in, in this era of um, uh, social media where everybody is a blogger, everybody is a, is a journalist, you have a phone, you have a Facebook account, you have a Twitter account, you are a journalist. It's good and it's bad. Because uh, a lot of people, I read computer science, but when I discovered that there was a need because of where I come from and what was happening around my society, there was a need for me to begin to write. I had to subject myself to training. The uh, ICIR, uh, International um, Center for Investigative Reporting. Yeah, I had to go through some training on investigative reporting with them. Okay, so so I had I had to I had to go through some training like the ICIR. Uh, we we had a one week um, training, intensive training on investigative reporting. Um, I've attended some other couple of professional journalism um, trainings within and outside um, Nigeria online. And uh, what was I doing? I was trying to build capacity because I knew that I didn't read journalism in school, but the society where I come from demands that hey there's, there's going to be or there should be somebody who is ready and willing to take the risk of reporting things as they happen so of course i had to do this training and that's why when people say ah oh, he's not a journalist i laugh i think who is a journalist you, you you've gone to the university to read mass communication come on i mean does that make you a journalist because there are there are tools my younger sister is reading mass communication in the university now but she still falls back to me most times to put her through on certain things because there are a lot of tools you need to fact check. There are tools you need to verify pictures, whether they are, they are actually from where. Somebody once sent me an information, some gory images and said um, a community was attacked and these are pictures from people that were killed. I said, oh, wow, good. I quickly carry out a check and discover that those pictures are not even from Nigeria. I mean, so imagine if I had, oh, this guy, okay, somebody is actually from that community. Then I just boom to Twitter and tweet. I mean, that's dangerous. So I think um, people who are practicing journalism in Nigeria, whether um, professionally or as freelance journalists or citizen journalists, they, there's this need for proper training. There are a lot of courses online, free courses online, where you get this training, where you get to know um, how to, to be able to do things the right way instead of just because you want to get clicks, you want to get views. And um, because I keep telling people, when I had issues with my state government, you know, when I was arrested and locked up in prison for 162 days, I said, look, if they had real evidence of fake news or stuff that I wrote that were not correct, 
I would have been convicted, like I would have been in jail now serving my sentence. But they had nothing. So the only thing they could do was to keep me for six months, you know, of course. And since I was released from prison, the, the case died. Like the case died naturally. A lot of people ask me, how far your case? I said, I don't know of any case. So that's why we have to be careful. But if they have something to hold on to, I mean, you are in soup because already they are not happy with you because you've been doing what you are doing. And now they have something to hold on to. Wow. Like, Stephen, you've done this. Of course, you, you've been a very hot soup. So people should be able to do their jobs well. Due diligence should be employed. And um, like I said, skills are very, very important. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that. I mean, that is very clear. For even someone who is is just learning, has a lot to take in, to learn from. Corey, I know you have a few questions, so please shoot. Um, I want to build up from Steven's response to ask Adako. Do you believe journalists are heating up the policy and trying to divide Nigeria with the news they share? Um, I know Stephen has a stance on it based on his wisdom, but when we ask a number of people, they feel journalists are not doing their best. Being in that space, what do you think? Are journalists hitting the policy and trying to divide it or ensuring um, the country is better? If they're trying to hit up the policy to ensure the country is better, well, I won't say 100% yes. But um, like Stephen said, some of these guys have come up to to hit up the policy a bit, to get these guys accountable, to get our government accountable, sorry, and our leaders accountable. So that's like a plus on their own side then. Um, I just feel like there should be more. More should be done because uh, naturally, African leaders don't like to be accountable. So I think more should be done. This is just, it's just a tiny, it's just too tiny for what should have been done then. In terms of division, yes, some of this, <clears throat> some of this um, journalists actually put out articles that the ethnical, some are religious, and you, sometimes you get to read from of these known guys that are like, I don't want to call names, that you think like you get to read some of the columns on papers and you're like you're surprised like how do you have this kind of thoughts knowing the state in which this country is how sensitive some issues are and begin to drive to a narrative that shows division that it goes that puts more force or fire to, to division especially when it comes to tribe when it comes to ethnicity and religion so yes, they are doing that. And I think if those energy is put towards having a more accountable government, it would have been better. But then again, they have to be controversial writers and they have to be writers that have to make their money. So that's it. Okay, thank you. But don't you think that um, this should give a case for government and social media regulation since you've you agree that some journalists try to just get it for the clicks. Don't you, do you believe that also it should be regulated ensuring that journalists are held accountable for what they share? 
Yes, I think journalists should be held accountable for what they share. Then on the case of the revelation on social media, it's quite dicey because we know the part of the world we come we come from and we know how power can be abused. And we've seen how like Stephen had to go through an issue because he was representing a minority, a suppressed group. So we know how our government can take advantage of such regulation and shut out every voice that will hold them accountable. So I don't know how we can create a balance in that direction that it's there's a, like there's a good balance that the regulation does not throw journalists that are trying to hold government accountable and rather will punish journalists that sharing or writing about divisive reports that shares a narrative about ethnicity and religion. So those are my thoughts. Interesting. Um, I Stephen, I also like you to just um, drop a, um, a comment on this same question about how the government's regulating. We've seen the issue of, for example, the Twitter ban that happened. So how do you, do you think really the government should have so much say in the regulation of um, how we disseminate information as journalists? Um, or what, what are your thoughts really? Okay, um, thank you very much. You see, in, in Sena climes, like like where I am now, um, if the government said they want to regulate something, you know they are sincere. But in the case of Nigeria, there's no sincerity. So, like, if the government of the day says they want to regulate social media, from when they started uh, the 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 advocacy on the in the national assembly to uh, to regulate social media i think 2015 or there about senator nala and his bill i told a friend i said look they are not doing this thing to check made fake news they are doing this thing to create an atmosphere where people citizens will be afraid to vent their frustration to say things that they see now let me let me ask you a, let me ask a question on this platform. If Nigeria were to be a sane society, Sam Omasai, Omasai, or what do you call him, that wrote a column, obituary. If Nigeria were to be a, a system that is working, he ought to have been sanctioned and punished because that article was divisive. It was targeting a particular ethnic group in the country. But instead, he, he got some pat on the back, even from the authorities. Few few months ago, um, th there's this agency I wrote a report for in Nigeria. I wouldn't want to mention uh, uh, their name because of how sensitive it was. Um, I, I wrote a report, and I was using terrorists instead of bandits. And the editor reached out to me and said, Steve, no. Uh, he, he underlined all the terrorists on the article. I said, I should change them to bandits. I said, what do you mean? I went to Zamfara. I went to Kasina. I went to Sokoto. I went to Southern Kaduna and all other areas. Niger. I spent days. I risked my life. And I'm telling you, 
what I saw. These guys have weapons of mass destruction. These guys have anti-aircraft weapons in their possession. They have all the dangerous weapons on earth. And you call them bandits? In fact, I told them that if you are not going to use this report with the terrorists on it, don't use my report. I don't want my name there. And that's how the deal closed. I was supposed to be paid. I think I tweeted about it. So that's how bad it is. Like they said, because um, what do you call it? NBC or whatever you that uh, uh, they will sanction. I said, no, come on. We don't give in to this pressure, this negative pressure from the system. Yeah, I'm not an advocate for fake news or unverified stories. But then if you give the Nigerian government the power and said, regulate social media, I'm telling you, they will do it to the extreme that even when you go, you get to your house and see somebody killing your relative, you have a picture and a video of that incident, you'll be afraid to report it. Like you are an eyewitness now, you saw it happen. You have pictures, you have videos, you snap the incident, but you will be afraid to report it. So that's how extreme they can go. So there should be other way out. Now, Twitter and I think Facebook, they, they can build a system, which Twitter was doing during the American election. We saw some tweets from the then president being flagged off and taken. That's cool. That's Twitter doing their thing, not the American government trying to regulate social media. No. So instead of giving the government power to regulate this thing, the social media platforms, they have the capacity to you know, uh, implement some upgrade on their, on their system where if you post a picture, I think I, I've seen Facebook do it not quite long. Like, you know, somebody will post a picture and you'll see face, a comment. Facebook will just make a comment that this is not true or something. So I think that's better. But if you give the Nigerian government, not even just this government, even the previous government, if you give them the right and say regulate social media, I'm telling you, even to post what is on your mind, like your birthday, you'll be afraid to post it because somebody, a senator who doesn't like your face, will just look at it and say, look, this is hate speech. And come to think of it, the people that are dividing this country more are the politicians, not the journalists. The politicians are the ones dividing this country. We've, we've seen audios, audio, audio, audios of um, the former governor, Bonuse Shetima, we saw how he, he, he spoke with hatred against a particular ethnic group in this country. So the politicians, um, my friend used to tell me that if you want to know the weapon the enemy fears the most, check the one he is using. The current government came to power using the social media. That's what they use. Then suddenly, when they got to power in 2015, they say, hey, we want to regulate it. Who does that? Like a few months after you've used the same platform to get to power. So I'm telling you, in the Nigerian context, you try to regulate social media. You are giving the government power that they will use in a very dangerous way. And uh, that might set us backward to like 200 years backward. Interesting, interesting. Thank you, thank you for that. Um, so, still speaking on um, 
the government now and really talk, talking about directly talking about the elections coming up um i just want to ask your opinion adaku so yes i'm addressing this to you um what do you think we can do to prepare for for example like the election results do you think um there should be a system in place or something in place to help us get the correct data for the election elections coming up or do you think it should still be the same old system of of reporting that because we know that people are getting a bit um, agitated we've seen movements we've seen support from different um parties uh but we know that the results will be very very important so Adaku, do you have any like suggestions on how we should receive the results okay so if the results will be electronically reported collated i think that's the that's the step ahead and i think some states should come ahead before some other states naturally i would not like to mention the regions <clears throat> So, because naturally we get to see this pattern now, when some certain region states, the results are coming in and we're getting in thousands, then later there's a beef up from the other side where it's coming in droves that we know, we, we know the truth that indeed this was not the actual number of people that casted their votes. But then again, if that can work and, um, <clears throat> To be sincere with the way things are now, I think it will be very difficult. But then again, Nigerian government has no law. There's every day they define a new level of law and they surprise us. Yeah. Stephen, what do you think um, about the results? If I thought there's going to be an election, <laughs> whenever I make wow. this uh, statement, people will say, <laughs> what are you doing? Funny enough, I, I, I said this I, before you wow. came on. <laughs> I said this I, before you came online. <laughs> I, I, ha I, I have my reason of saying this, and I'll keep saying it until I see. If I, I'm going to be uh, doubting Thomas until the day the election uh, elections held, because um, you know, I, I've seen a lot, I've, I've heard a lot, and there are certain uh, information I know that makes me believe that um, uh, well, we are not certain if there's going to be an election. But then if there's going to be an election, one, um, the electronic transmission of results must be completely obeyed. Now we have an electoral act that you know, is backing this thing, like this thing should be done. And um, you, see, you see, this thing is not rocket science. When the government of the day banned GSM in some of the areas where you have terrorists operating in northern Nigeria, what did the terrorists do? They resorted to using um, Turaya, satellite phones. I mean, these guys are people you call terrorists. You say they are not learned, they are illiterate. But the moment the government say, hey, MTN, Airtel, Globacom, shut down your communication network in those areas. These guys went using Turaya. And I was discussing with a friend. I said, come. But how did these guys that we keep underrating, we keep saying they're illiterate, how did they know that there was a way out? I mean, very fast. So 
the excuse we've heard from some areas is that there's no network. It's a lie. There's always a way out. So results should be transmitted electronically, not just that. And the server should be protected. In fact, there should be more tanks guarding the INEC server. If you understand, those who are in the tech world understand that. Like it should be properly guarded because I foresee a situation where something will happen and they will tell us that that's if I thought there's going to be an election and they will tell us that the entire result or the server crash or something happened. And that's going to throw the country into a constitutional crisis. In fact, if there's not going to be an election, we are still going to go into a constitutional crisis. But the bottom line is every Nigerian citizen should be an agent of a political party. I'm not saying they should go and join any political party, but whoever you vote for, you have to sacrifice that day like, and remain there to make sure your votes are counted. It is very important. The last election in the FCT, um, I was among those accredited by INEC to cover the election. So I think I did that of Buari Area Council. So I remember going around all the Kubwa, Buari, Duse, and other areas at Ushafa under um, Buari Area Council. So I saw how the election held. And I saw how vigilant. In fact, rigging was almost impossible in that election, you know, with the beaver thing and other technologies that uh, INEC introduced. Rigging was impossible. The only rigging they were doing was vote buying. I give you money, you go vote for me. But apart from that, like you want to change figures, it was not possible. And that was why the result of that FCT local government um, council election reflected the will of the people to a large extent. We saw how some um, places believed to be stronghold of um, the ruling party, you know, were lost to the opposition party. So, I mean, that's the kind of election we should see. I tell people that the FCT election and the Ocean election should be models that we should see in 2023. In fact, we should see something better. Anything less than that is, is like, it should not be accepted by Nigerians. Finally, that is if there's gonna be an election. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stevens. Thank you. Kareda, do you have any comments on this um, particular question or do you have any questions? Yes, I do. Uh, I think this has been the most interesting episode for me <laughs> since started recording um, because um, Stephen and Adaku have actually come to really pour out their hearts. So it's it's not only that. But my question would be is um would be on what do you think should be done going forward for journalists or individuals who want to be journalists? Um, in the age of blogging and social media, what should be done to ensure that the right information goes out? Okay. Um, okay, thank you very much. Um, this one is personal to me. Uh, I, I think one of the reasons why a lot of journalists are not ready to put their lives on the line and really do the kind of journalism 21st, is a 21st century society like Nigeria um, um, need to thrive is the fear of the unknown, right? I, I knew what I've had to go through in the last three years 
sorry, last seven years, sorry. Because from 2015, I've been a fugitive in Nigeria, even before I was arrested. Now, when I was arrested and released, it didn't end there. I shared some of my experiences with some people. In fact, in April this year, I was attacked in my sleep. Like they sprayed some substance in the room. I couldn't breathe well. That was the first time I was experiencing respiratory issue. So, and do you know, I've not been able to really share my story because I feel like I would discourage some other citizen journalists who are doing it for passion, not, not to be paid. Like I mean, nobody was paying me. But I was more interested in telling the story of my people. Like that was the passion. That was my motivation. So I feel if I tell this story, even those who are practicing will like, man, I'm not ready to pass through this. It got to a point I had to sneak out of Nigeria through the land borders. Like a refugee. Right now I'm a refugee in another man's country. Now that's the price I had to pay. But there's no regret whatsoever. But why am I saying this? There should, be, there should be a form of protection for journalists who are ready to really do uh, journalism, not armchair journalists that will just sit down in one office somewhere in Abuja and uh, make phone calls to Katina and just write. No, people who are ready to go to the field, see things for themselves, should be protected. Maybe there should be a fund, kind of, so that whoever wants to venture into this thing will know that, ah, man, yeah, there's something to fall back to. Their families should be protected. But I mean, when there's nothing and you expect somebody to put his life or her life on the line to go to the field, get these stories, these dangerous stories. Yusuf Anka, the guy that did the BBCI documentary on the bandit of Zamfara, bandit warlord of Zamfara, he's my friend. After that documentary, that's the BBC documentary. Do you know they were hunting for the guy? I mean, they were hunting for Yusuf. We chatted. The day I left Nigeria, he sent me a chat. He said, man, he has to go underground because like, they're trying to kill him. So he's a law student. Yusuf is not even a professional journalist, but you saw the powerful work he did. So I tell people, uh, Fisayo, the guy, um, the popular Fisayo, the guy running FIJ, Foundation of, for Investigative Journalism in Nigeria. We all know him. He read our Greek engineering or so. So, and from research I've done, some of the best, David wrote, uh, read uh, creative writing. I mean, he didn't read journalism. He didn't read mass communication. He read creative writing. But today is one of the hottest guys in town. So, journalism is not rocket science. You, you could read anything. You could read our language. You could read Arabic and still be a journalist if you want to and if you are committed and dedicated. So, by and large, people need to be very careful. I mean, there were stories, there was a story I wrote in April, April this year, about, in fact, I was the first person to write that story about terrorists camping uh, in the, on the fringes of Abuja. Now, it was an investigative report, an exclusive story I did for one newspaper, TMS News in Abuja. Now, it was a detailed report. I explained how they were camping. And I also predicted that if nothing is done, in the next couple of weeks, there's going to be a major attack in Abuja. The story went viral. In fact, the day they attacked Kujay prison, one of my mentors called, he said, Steve, uh, you said this. I said, yes, I said it. 
Now, I knew the threat I got after that story. But of course, now me already, I've made myself a sacrificial lamb. Like, if I have a story, if it's good, I'll put it out. Then start running. In the last five years, I've changed five residential apartments in Abuja. Today, I'm in Buari. Tomorrow, I'm in... I got tired. I had to leave the country. So, it's... Um, it's not an easy thing to do, but then people have to be very careful. If you have a story that you know, if you put it out there, it's going to cost your life. It's better not to put it out. Like, don't try to be like me. How I was, I was speaking with David uh, some months ago. David was like, guy, you're still in Nigeria. That was when I was still in Nigeria. I said, what are you still doing there? That, that, he's, that he fears for me. Like, come on. You know, but then people just need to be very careful. And whether we like it or not, the older generation of journalists, they are facing out. The Sam Omasa is. You can see nobody's taking them serious again. They are now columnists. All they can do is to write and praise politician or political party. But they cannot do journalism. Because the journalism of today it involves you going to Zamfara or Katsina and talking to this bandit. Like, I've had calls to... Oh, let me not go there. It's a bit sensitive. So anyway, uh, I'm sure I've been able to answer your question. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Stephen. Um, Adaku, uh, just closing words. Do you have anything to say before we close out this episode? Um, I think this is a good way to finish it out. We've had so much time and I hope you have something to share. Okay, so once again, thank you for having me here. And <clears throat> my closing word is um, for people like Stephen not to give up. Stephen knows there are a whole lot of people like him in the north too. They are writing. Some are ghost writers. A lot of them are ghost writers, and they cannot give up. Like every generation has to pay a price for something. Like we we'll always remember, Delegua, the great writer, the journalist that was killed with letter bomb, and funny enough, he was he died. He was killed in the month of October, and I always follow the trend of that and um. Remember Sarawiwa, if you read his diaries and his diaries in prison when he was in jail, think about those people. And I think <clears throat> my time with Reuters, I wasn't a full-time employee of Reuters. I was, I was not even in the journalist department, but I volunteered myself in that department to do things, mostly to translate English, to, to translate Hausa to English was majorly what I was doing there. And that's where I picked up. I started reading right up from field journalist, investigative journalist, and everything, but I just know that there's a price to pay. There's nothing is ever going to be offered to us in a platter of gold for every generation has to pay. If we know the dream country that we want, if we know the country we want to hand over in the next 30 years, we have to just pay this price. And I think even media organizations that are coming up should start infusing insurance for journalists. You should stop enjoying free things. You start infusing insurance for journalists, for their family members and all of that. And people like Steven, people like David should make it more attractive and should explain the part of the pain and the gains of it. Because no matter what, history will be kind to you in all of it. So that's just my parting word. And thank you once again for having me here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Adaku. Thank you so much, Stephen. We really, really, really enjoyed 
and learned a lot from this episode and we are sure our listeners too. Um, so on behalf of Jackie's Insights, um, we're just telling our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode. Follow us, um, drop your comments, questions also, and we'll try to get you the um, right answers to the questions. Um, from Cho and Corey, we're signing out on behalf of Jackie's. Bye, guys. Peace out.